Hello, thanks for joining me on episode 13 of the Therapy Explained podcast. This week I speak to EMDR guru, Melissa Benintendi. Now, although EMDR is a real passion of mine, this week Melissa and I speak about a passion of hers, Reiki. We cover what Reiki is and where it comes from, where it converges with modern psychotherapies, its relationship with the placebo effect and what that actually means, Melissa's path to Reiki and much more. Apologies for some of the audio quality on this episode, but it's a real humdinger, so I hope it makes up for that. As ever, don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating where you can. Hello and welcome back to the Therapy Explained podcast. Today I have the pleasure of welcoming Melissa Benintendi. Melissa is an EMDR therapist and trainer based in Missouri. Melissa hosts a feed of podcasts dedicating to understanding psychology, human development, attachment, trauma and EMDR, such as the Notice That podcast, Beyond Trauma podcast, the Evidence-Based Therapist, and even a secret podcast that you can only access if you sign up to the Beyond Trauma Patreon. So Melissa, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited to talk about our topic. Me too, which I haven't mentioned yet. So thank you for uh, taking the time to do this. Now, although in the introduction, I've just mentioned your EMDR background, that's going to take a little bit of a backseat for today, as you're going to speak about another speciality of yours, Reiki. For those of us who don't know a whole lot about Reiki, which includes me, could you start by giving your own definition of Reiki? Yeah. Um, So I think that, you know, the first thing that feels important is to honor the, the tradition and the roots of where it comes from, but also acknowledging that it's had a tremendous amount of evolution uh, since its inception. So it's uh, originally a spiritual practice that started in Japan and then was pretty quickly um, disseminated to the West. And there are many, many practitioners. And um, as with a lot of different spiritual traditions, it has a lot of different branches um, so it's continued to evolve and, uh, you know, there's different methods of practicing Reiki. Um, but I think that the core definition that I feel like is useful, especially for somebody that's kind of new to it, um, is regardless of what kind of Reiki somebody is trained in, the way that I understand it is that a Reiki practitioner is trained and practiced in embodying uh, divine energy. And divine can be kind of a loaded word. Uh, When I say divine, most people are going to think about God. (laughs) Um, But in the Reiki tradition, it's less interested in identifying a God source and more interested in understanding that there is a life force energy, a divine energy that is sort of the, the driving force behind life as we know it in all capacities. And if we are trained to, and if we choose to, we can tune into that energy flow that is happening in every organism and every living thing at all times. And Reiki is the practice of tuning into and becoming a conduit for that life source, that divine energy. And the way that I was trained, and I think most of us, um, you know, this is included in the training to some degree, is that the way that you learn how to do that is by filling your entire body with as much love as possible. And this is where, you know, Reiki starts to feel like, well, this is kind of a a woo-woo out there thing. What do you mean you're filling your body with love? But when we look at uh, the science behind what's going on and the frequency of the human body, we have to remember that we're an electrical organism, right? We're filled with electricity at all times. 
And so my understanding and my integration of Reiki is really uh, about understanding that electricity is malleable. And we as a human organism are a conduit for electricity. So if we choose to, and if we're practiced at it, we can begin to influence electrical currents in living organisms around us. And Reiki is the practice of learning how to connect with the electrical energy of another person's body and invite that person's system um, to activate in a way that produces change and healing. Um, and so the, the internal practice of it um, is around, you know, filling your organism, your body with as much uh, love energy as possible because that produces an electrical shift that uh, creates the highest frequency that a human body is capable of holding, at least to our current knowledge. Um, so when they, when they do measurements of the electricity of human bodies, we have different frequencies depending on what emotion we're feeling. And this starts to really tap into our lived experience and our intuition a lot. We feel different when we're feeling loving, compassionate, and kind versus when we're feeling withdrawn or angry or dismissed by somebody. We feel very different in our body. And that has some to do with what electrical uh, currents are moving through us at that particular time. And so as we've been able to measure this, what we know is that when we're intentionally filling ourselves with certain emotions, we are impacting our own electrical current in our body. And so the training of Reiki is about how to impact the current. But my understanding of Reiki is that what we're doing is actually working with the electricity between two human bodies to produce positive change. There's so much in there, Melissa. It is fascinating. So much of it overlaps with what is relevant to psychotherapy, which we both have a background in. And, you know, it makes me think of, from a humanistic Carl Rogers perspective, the unconditional positive regard. Yes. From an internal family system perspective, embodying self. And I'm sure there's probably other modalities that would look to embody what you're saying here, when you, when you can embody love and the, the transformative nature of it. And so... In its essence, you're learning to kind of tune into this frequency, but as we might understand in emotional framework, it's to embody love, compassion for other people. Yes. And that that has a transformative nature, maybe even a curative nature. Yes. So, you know, one of the things that uh, is part of the Reiki tradition that is very important is that our body is only ever inviting the other person's body to shift. Um, it is a gentle practice. There is no force um, of will over the other person. The minute that we move into a power dynamic where I am attempting to force change upon another, um, number one, that I believe that's unethical practice. And number two, the, the potential results of that are what I think is much less because the minute that I move into a power dynamic with my client's body, I am not acting from a place of love. Love is soft and inviting. It is not a bully. And so uh, in Reiki, we're very, very careful to understand that we are simply, number one, a channel for this energy. It is not my energy or my love that is creating the change in the other person's body. 
Um, it is something that is greater than all of us, the source to all of us. And I am simply uh, kind of directing that, uh, bending it in a way to be very focused in this particular moment. But it, it doesn't belong to me. So I'm not sourcing from my personal self. And that's very important in the practice of Reiki. Uh, the other bit is that even in the best of moments, uh, it is only ever an invitation to the other person. So their receptivity to it really matters. If somebody comes in for a Reiki session and they don't want to be there and they uh, have no openness to the experience, they're pretty unlikely to really feel much of anything or to get much positive change. That's not because uh, the only impact is a placebo effect, which I would really love to clarify what the placebo effect actually is, <laughs> because I think a lot of people have a huge misunderstanding of what the placebo effect actually is. Um, but when, whenever we're working with a modality that is as gentle as Reiki is, the other person's willingness and receptivity really matters. But that's also true in normal therapy. If somebody comes in for therapy and they don't want to be there, we can be using the most evidence-based approaches ever and get absolutely nowhere with somebody because their system is not open to the invitation that we're offering. And so in Reiki, that's even more important because we're, we're working in such a energetically intimate way with somebody else's system. So the, the respect of um, this is only ever an invitation and somebody's openness and willingness to it is the most important thing that's happening in the room. I can be doing, you know, the best version of Reiki that I know how to do, but their system still has the option to accept or reject that invitation. It's so interesting because it makes me think again about other psychotherapeutic approaches yeah. that if again internal family systems if you try to kind of push it on someone you're probably not embodying self maybe it's a protector that you have so right. that and other people can sense protectors even though they might know it necessarily consciously and it creates a, a level of resistance so it's all about being gentle open and collaborative and something you mentioned there that I would be interested in pursuing a little bit more is that placebo effect can you kind of explain what you mean by that Absolutely. So I think in, in popular common sense knowledge, there's this idea that the placebo effect uh, means a fake effect. And that's not true. The reason why we control for a placebo effect in uh, when we're doing scientific research is because the placebo effect is real, but that's not what we're trying to measure. We're trying to measure the effect of, you know, let's say it's a new drug, right? Of what effect does that drug have on its own separate from the placebo effect? Because we have a lot of verifiable research and repeated research at this point that says the placebo effect is real. So here's my uh, kind of definition. Placebo effect is not imagining results. It is a real result through the power of our imagination. So our ability to imagine a new reality has a real and measurable impact on our body. And so this is relevant, uh, you know, for people that use meditation, that use guided imagery practice, that use chronic pain protocols that are based on imagination. The reason why these things work is because it produces a real change in our biology. It's not fake. It's just that it's through the power of our imagination and not through an external source. So conventionally, we've gotten a little bit confused about what placebo actually is, and we think, oh, it, it's not real. No, 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 it's very real. 
it's just entirely happening within our imagination and within the ways that our um, organism works within itself to produce change. So the easiest way to uh, understand what placebo really is, is that if you sit alone in a room and you imagine your favorite food, your salivary response and your digestive response will begin. But the food isn't there. The food is not actually in the room with you. But your system doesn't care. Just by imagining it, just by holding that image in your mind, all of those biological processes turn on, right? Uh, we can use sexual examples real easily. We can get strong biological reaction purely to imagination. So if we're a little bit uncertain about whether or not we have the power to affect our biology simply through visualization and imagination, I would like everybody, well, maybe I won't give that invitation, imagine your favorite food <laughs> and see what your body does. Because the, the power of our imagination is very real, and that is what the placebo effect is. It's not uh, fake results. It's real results through the power of our imagination, and that's very connected to Reiki. Reiki is about visualizing and imagining collaboratively with our clients the change and the healing that they want to experience in their body. And by doing that together, the power of two organisms, two electrical systems focused on the same intention, we get very, very real, profound results from that. And because there's no external uh, thing happening that's imposing itself on their organism, it's also very gentle because it's happening within their own organism in a very inviting and gentle way. Um, and so that for most people, the experience of Reiki is surprising, first of all, of how much change and shift can really happen. Um, and number two, it's very, very gentle, right? We don't, uh, we don't see a lot of the same uh, results or um, side effects from Reiki that we would with some of the other modalities that are a lot more forceful. That's a brilliant uh, explanation. And it's, um, it makes me think about a lot that you, on your notice that podcast that you talk about and saying that you use quite frequently is it's not what we experience, but it's how we experience it in terms of trauma. It doesn't really matter what happens, it's how we experience of it. And it, it also makes me think about, um, uh, I've just finished writing a paper on the systematic literature review for imagery scripting, um, which can be used for traumatic, traumatic memories rooted in social anxiety. And some of the subjective feedback from participants was that it didn't matter that when they were rescripting a traumatic event, it didn't matter that their needs that they, their needs weren't really met at the time. They didn't have someone swoop in and save them or they didn't have someone to tell them that you're you're just fine as you are. What mattered is that they felt it as they were doing it um, during their imagery rescripting. So the power of yeah, just that felt experience which is so relevant, particularly to EMDR which any listeners who are scratching their heads, we've mentioned EMDR so much today. Um, in our episode number two, we spoke to Gus Murray about EMDR, so you might want to check that one out. I was wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing your own route into Reiki. Yeah, so this is kind of a fascinating story, actually. <laughs> um, so my you know, personal and individual journey, I was actually raised in a uh, very, very legalistic and religious household. Um, and was a part of that until my early 20s and uh, started to have some experiences that let me know that that was no longer a fit for me as an individual and started looking uh, kind of outside traditional um, modalities and methods of healing 
um, to see if there was anything out there that felt like uh, it was more resonant with who I was becoming and who I wanted to be. But I found a, a Reiki training that was put on by a Christian woman which allowed me to feel more comfortable with it. Because at the beginning, I was very, very concerned um, that Reiki might be something that would be spiritually detrimental because I was still kind of holding on to some of um, my old and more traditional belief systems. And so I went to this training feeling uh, comfortable because the trainer was a Christian. And I thought uh, that that would make it safe for me spiritually. But through that, it was a three-day training through the course of that training, um, there was a couple of moments in particular that were so pivotal uh, for me as an individual that it completely reconceptualized the way that I understand the entire universe. And I know that sounds a little hyperbolic, but it was real. <laughs> um, because in the midst of that, I had some profound experiences that um, were beyond any explanation that I had access to in, uh, you know, my way of understanding the world previously. Um, and because of that, it kind of sent me on this great personal quest to expand my understanding of um, more ways of looking at life and looking at spirituality and looking at human experience. And I've kind of never looked back. Um, and one of my favorite things about Reiki is, uh, number one, the, the gentleness and the respect that I've already spoken about, but also the broadness of it, the, the lack of competition. Um, it is such a gentle and respectful approach that anything that we do as a therapist, it blends well with. Um, there, there is, uh, you know, no healing modality that Reiki cannot partner with in a really supportive way. Uh, Reiki and EMDR go amazingly together. Um, you know, any kind of body work, Reiki can come in and be a part of that uh, because it is truly about positioning yourself as the practitioner, as a loving conduit for healing energy for whomever you're working on. Um, and so there, there's just no competition between that and anything else that has healing as its goal and intention. If we're there to try to produce a healing effect and a healing invitation to our client, then Reiki can be a part of that as well. And that was incredibly inviting to me that I wasn't, you know, welcoming in a practice that was going to somehow be in conflict with the other things that I was doing. The other major turning point uh, for me in my journey of understanding Reiki uh, was being a recipient of it myself. So after I went to the training and had all these profound experiences um, of you know, things happening that defied my conventional explanation, um, at least up to that point, I sought out a Reiki practitioner and an energy worker uh, here in my hometown, uh, which was really hard to find, unfortunately, because <laughs> um, I live in the Midwest and you know we're, we're still kidding up to things. Um, but I found one and I've stayed with her uh, for, well, I guess it's been about three years and I've seen her monthly at least uh, for three years. And the reason why I've done that is because um, working, you know, when, when you're a therapist that uh, people know, it's really hard to find a therapist that will work with you. <laughs> Once you get to a certain point in your career, it's like nobody wants to touch you to do your own therapeutic work. And it's a, a personal value of mine that um, I really believe that healers need to be receiving their own healing on a regular basis, uh, not only for our own origin stories and histories of trauma, but in order to um, 
do the work that we do, it's a little bit foolhardy to think that we're not also being exposed to vicarious trauma on a regular basis. And so, you know, I do that work for myself um, and receive Reiki on a regular basis. And my first session of going to this woman for Reiki, I told her very little because I'm actually a skeptic at heart. And um, I didn't want to tip her hand. <laughs> this is how skeptical I was. So I actually kind of fed her some false information and uh, didn't tell her a whole lot just to see what would happen. And by the end of the session, I was, you know, beyond convinced. It was almost like being convinced didn't matter anymore. I just felt so grateful and relieved uh, to find something that seemed to be really making an impact in such a short amount of time and inviting my body to, um, you know, move into a space of self-healing that I'd never experienced before. Um, and so one of the moments that, you know, I'll share uh, as an anecdote was I had been receiving chiropractic care um, since the birth of my daughter because I had a rib that had gotten out of place. And the chiropractor would put it back in and it would come out or sometimes he couldn't even get it to go back in. And it was excruciatingly painful. If anybody's ever had a rib out of place, you know it. Like every time you try to take a breath, your, your rib communicates to you that it's not where it's meant to be. So we're at the very end of the session and I say to this woman that that is the energy practitioner, I said, by the way, I have a rib out of place. Is that like a thing that you can do something about? And because I was new, I didn't know. And she said, oh, sure. Just point to me. Wh which rib is it? And so I showed her and it was in my kind of upper chest, sort of under my shoulder where the pain was. And she placed, uh, you know, one hand above it and one hand below it. And there was no pressure. Um, you know, I was very used to the chiropractor who would basically like shove it back into place and it would be incredibly painful um, and I'd be sore for days afterwards, but at least it kind of helped, right? And so she stood there silently and, uh, you know, about three minutes goes by and I'm thinking, well, I don't know what's supposed to be happening. Nothing's really happening. And about one minute after that, there was an audible pop and my bone moved back into place and it never came out again. And... If there was any amount of skepticism left in me, uh, it left after that. Now, there's still lots of questions. I still don't always understand the how of it, like what exactly is happening. I, and I'm not going to be arrogant enough to say I know what it is exactly. But I think that one of the things that we have to be really careful of in our Western culture is thinking that the only things that are valid are things that we can currently explain. If that was the truth then Tesla was insane and so was Albert Einstein, right? Like people that have dared to investigate the yet to be explained are the people that we now look up to as the ones that have brought us the most amazing inventions. And so just because we can't yet explain exactly the mechanism of action of what this energy work is, I am uh, convinced enough of the results that I believe that it is worth engaging with to learn from it. We can't explain all of it yet. I have a lot of hypotheses and theories about what it could be, but the fact that it is uh, consistently getting benefits as this is still worth exploring. And, and you know, science is right there with, you know, this thinking that we don't know why yet, but it is worth exploring. And there's a lot of research being done on energy work because the results are so consistently obvious. You mentioned earlier about vicarious trauma, and I think I'm going to have to look up for some Reiki healers and come to <laughs> I, uh, I mean, it's funny, I've only noticed recently. Um, so I work with a lot of people uh, based in the UK, um, 
where they I get referrals from insurance companies where there's been um, car accidents and trauma and I've always been very comfortable driving but as time's gone on and I've worked with more people that have been in car accidents you know it's kind of a little bit more uh, edgy driving around country roads or um, a little bit more intrusive kind of thoughts about the safety of it that's so, right yeah, I think I have to um, have look up on the Reiki network or the Reiki directory yes there's so much there that I'd kind of love to go over and um, say one being the experiential nature of Reiki and and I think again there's a real overlap there with EMDR and my own experience of EMDR it was something that I had an interest in the first couple of times I did it as part of the training and I thought okay it didn't quite a rib didn't quite pop but when I I did one particular processing and the rib popped and it was uh, that yeah. that was the kind of turning point for me where it kind of caught me and I was like gosh there's something about this and think about our western maybe even global culture but certainly western culture are very scientific heavy and um, mm. you know left brain thinking being yeah. rational seeing things in that perspective and people didn't always think like that it was probably only a, a hundred years ago where rational thinking wasn't necessarily to the fault there is an alternative way of seeing things um, okay. and we, we spoke before we came in that there seems to be two t- sides of that that coin of reality we have the rational the scientific base but then there's maybe that spiritual that's not there's something there there's some kind of realm and it feels like it might fit in there mm-hmm. i agree you also mentioned the broadness of reiki and having many branches in, in my research for today i came across a lot of kind of reiki buzzwords auras chakras healing crystals mm-hmm. intentions and um, energy worker uh, I'm not sure if you specialize in any one of those or maybe even all of those. If you tell us a little bit more about maybe some of those um, common features of Reiki. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I think it depends a lot on how somebody comes to Reiki, what they decide to pair it with. Um, so Reiki in its purest form is usually a hands-on or hands-hovering silent session where it's simply the practitioner interacting with the energy of uh, the client's body and not much else is going on. But as usually happens, as practitioners, you know, get a hold of something like this, they find uh, ways of pairing it with other things and seeing really great results with those uh, those pairings. And so everything that you just listed is exactly that. Um, and that honestly is exactly what happened to me. I have a very hard time doing traditional pure Reiki. I'm not even sure that I'm capable of it anymore. (laughs) Simply because I am a practitioner of so many other things. I'm also trained in craniosacral therapy, which the shortest explanation of that is it's basically a massage for your nervous system rather than for your muscles. So if I've got my hands on somebody uh, because of that other training, I can't help but notice the pulsation of their nervous system and the rhythm of their nervous system because I have that training now embodied in myself. And so it's it's very, very difficult to separate out and just do Reiki apart from anything else that you've had training and experience in because it so naturally blends and pairs well. Um, so I think what's happened is we have all of these practitioners that are out there learning these beautiful modalities and looking at Reiki and saying, oh, oh, these two things obviously can go together and potentially produce even more benefit. And so things like crystal healing uh, is a really obvious example. If somebody is going to be laying on your table for an hour uh, receiving Reiki, why would they not also receive crystal healing if I have that available and I have that expertise? 
Um, same thing with essential oil healing, right? Anything that is another invitation to the human electrical system and nervous system uh, to produce a healing response can pair really well. And so you see all of these different pairings occurring. Um, people that do aura reading um, as a pairing with it, aura reading is simply another way of assessing somebody's current electrical system. Um, and they do it through color visualization. That is how their sensory system perceives the electrical communications from somebody else's body or really any living thing. Um, so somebody that engages in aura reading is assessing the aura and from that information is going to make decisions about how to focus their, their Reiki treatment. Um, it's not necessary in order to have a Reiki session, but it's a really common pairing. I was wondering if I'm right in assuming this, but how important chakras are because again yeah. when i was kind of preparing for today um i came across one piece of information that stated that that reiki is about trying to unlock these chakras that they're um you know, vortexes of energy uh -huh. and that they i don't know are they connected and that there can be maybe blocks there or an imbalance you mm -hmm. tell us a little bit more about chakras yeah. So the, the chakra system um, is something that has kind of gotten adopted by a lot of different traditions, healing traditions, spiritual traditions at this point. Um, originally, it has a few different uh, main sources, but it's actually a yogic and uh, Hindu tradition and traditional Indian healing tradition more than anything. It comes out of Ayurvedic medicine and a few other things. But um, the, the Chinese system and the Japanese system of understanding uh, the energy that flows through the human body has energy centers as well. And so what happened is all of these traditional healing systems developed independently and because we're in the world of uh, uh, information when all of these things overlap we see oh everybody came to the same conclusion <laughs> uh, which to me produces the sense of validity right if everybody independently came to a very similar conclusion now there is of course some some subtle differences um, but the main system that has gotten adopted the chakra system of seven main chakras that uh, are present in the human body the crown chakra the third eye chakra throat chakra heart solar plexus sacral and root those are the main seven and each of those are considered an energy center that interacts with a very particular kind of energy that flows through the human body. And some of them are exactly what you would expect them to be. The heart chakra is very, very connected to love sensation, uh, connection, compassion, all of those things. Um, there's some that are a little bit less intuitive. For instance, our solar plexus chakra, which sort of hangs out uh, right under our rib cage, that is about um, identity and self-esteem, self-worth, will, uh, the ability to put ourselves into the world in an expressive way. Um, and so understanding the, the energy systems in Reiki, we work with those particular spots in the body. And part of what we're doing in a Reiki session is number one, seeing if the energy is flowing smoothly and deliberately through those places and uh, uh, working with any blockages. Um, and blockage can, it, it's not, it doesn't mean that there's no energy there because no energy means dead. And, that, and that's not a thing. If you're alive, you've got energy flowing, but it's the way that the energy is flowing. Sometimes things get a little bit blocked, uh, but it's usually more like it's sluggish or erratic um, or uh, 
heavier, like it, there's a density to it rather than a lightness. Um, and so working with the feel and the texture of the energy and helping it begin to flow in the direction that is most beneficial and in the way that is most beneficial is a goal of a Reiki session. So most Reiki practitioners are going to check each of the seven chakras and then work directly with those chakra points throughout a session. Can you describe how you can tell if there is some imbalance or sluggishness in one of those systems? Yeah, so I think one of the things that uh, is really interesting about Reiki is that it's very individualized to the practitioner because it is communication between two bodies. So my body as the practitioner has its own preferred language. Um, so if you think about all of the ways that we communicate, everybody's voice sounds a little bit different, right? Now we're still able to communicate, right? Because we have a common language, but the nuances of it some people are more prosodic, right? We have a more melodic voice. When I talk, it sounds like I'm giving a, you know, an oratory performance on stage. Like I can't help myself. <laughs> it's just how I talk. Um, other people are more monotone or their, their natural volume is a lot quieter. Some people are loud no matter what. They, that's just how loud they are. So energy moves in a very similar way. So part of what you're doing in an initial session is sort of learning how does this person's energy usually feel? What's their baseline for them? What's normal for them? Um, sensorily, what it feels like to the individual practitioner is also going to depend on their own system. So the way that my body experiences that communication is very sensory and very uh, imagery based. So I don't see things visually, um, but what I do get is a lot of images and pictures in my own mind. Um, I also get a lot of sensory experience in my own body that's an indication of what the other person's body is feeling. So it would be really common in a session for me to say to a client, hey, I'm feeling a sensation in my upper stomach that feels like it's really tense and tight and hot. Is there anything going on in your upper stomach? Nine times out of 10, they'll say, yeah, that's exactly what I'm feeling in my stomach, right? So my body gives me information by being a reflection um, a mirror image of what's occurring in the other person's body. Some practitioners uh, will feel a lot of temperature change in their hands as they're working. Uh, some people, and th this is uh, more common for me, I'll get more of a buzzing and a tingling sensation, much like electrical current, because that's what we're dealing with. Um, so a temperature change can be normal. Uh, tingling sensations uh, would be really normal. Um, when I put my hands on somebody and I'm getting visuals in my head, it's usually information about their emotional state and their current energetic state. So uh, an example would be I see them sitting by a serene river, and that would let me know that they're in a peaceful, calm state. Sometimes I'll get flashes of really like bright, intense red, yellow lights. And to me, that has a texture and a feel of, of anger, of rage, of uh, nervousness and anxiety, very like sympathetically charged energy. So that gives me an indication of what might be happening in their nervous system. 
But however we receive that information, something that I feel like is really important is the humility of checking in with the person to validate whether or not that is truly an experience that they're having or if that's something that my body is currently processing and experiencing. So we have to stay humble about the messages that we're receiving um, because there's a lot of variables there. So it needs to be collaborative and communicative with the client um, to make sure that we're not imposing our own stuff on the person because we stay human as a practitioner and we have to account for that. So always being curious of what you are thinking and I'm not sure if you, re- you can read my aura now, Melissa, but for our listeners, they might be able to see it, but I'm in a red shirt, got red um, curtains behind me and I'm quite sunburned. <laughs> you got a lot of red going on. <laughs> <laughs> not angry, just in case yeah. you might have been thinking. Yeah, no, I've never been an aura reader. Like, that's just not how I get information. Like, if I try, like, really, really hard, I may get an impression of something, but I really don't have a lot of trust in it because it's just not the language uh, that my body communicates in. I have a friend that, man, if she tells me something about my aura, I believe her because she's never been wrong. That's her language. That's the way that her body receives information. And that's part of why I like the Reiki tradition is because it makes room for all of the ways that human organisms communicate and uh, express themselves. Um, All of that is welcome with that incredibly important dose of humility and respect that our experience is always our experience. Now, sometimes I might be suspicious that I am probably on target, but that person doesn't feel willing to really investigate that. But still, respect wins out, and I don't impose that on them. If they're telling me no, then I'm going to listen to their no and not push right there. Outside of today, my only other experience of Reiki was when I was about 18, I had a girlfriend, and her mom was, uh, I'm pretty sure she's a Reiki practitioner. I didn't know what it was at the time, but I just remember her one time mentioning we were out somewhere, and she happened to mention that someone she saw had a really dark Reiki, or sorry, a really dark aura about yeah. him. And I don't think it was a good thing at the time. I'm not sure if like a black aura is, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> booming. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, that, that's my only experience so far outside of today. And I, I think maybe partly, probably not too similar to your own background, uh, being from a Christian background, Ireland very much being steeped in Catholicism. I think anything that, even if you're a Protestant, which is still a part of the Christian faith, it was kind of seen as, um, you know, you'd be burnt at the stake, never mind something like Reiki that can seem kind of way out there. Oh, yeah, very much so. One of your early uh, ventures was to become a Reiki healer, but now you're very much entrenched with EMDR, working with trauma. Uh, I'm wondering how your knowledge and experience as a psychotherapist has Mm -hmm. overlapped, maybe reinforced what what you learned through your journey to Reiki. Yeah, yeah. So they absolutely inform each other constantly. Uh, like I said, I uh, I love Reiki because of how seamlessly it pairs with so much. Um, and it's a, a personal practice of mine that in any session, um, regardless of what kind of session I'm doing, um, and even when I'm teaching, and to be totally honest, I try to practice it anytime I'm interacting with another living being, <laughs> um, is that that practice of embodying as much divine love as I am currently capable of holding. Um, because that practice means that being in proximity to other people 
that my my presence, just my beingness in the attempt to love and embody love as much as possible is a gentle uh, invitation. Well, I should rephrase that. I always hope that it feels like a gentle invitation, although I've been informed that it doesn't always feel gentle. <laughs> I am by nature not a gentle person, which is why this is a discipline and a practice of mine to try to stay very gentle and respectful. Um, but embodying that uh, that energy of love in interaction with any client um, has produced just massive results that felt so surprising to me because it felt uh, it felt like such a gentle shift for me to just spend a little bit of time before a session and moments throughout an entire session of inviting my body to fill up with as much love as I could currently hold. And just by doing that, um, the way that the, the session flows and the feel of it and what they received from me um, within that you know hour or two hours that we had together, it's been very, very obvious to me that there's a significant shift. Um, clients started reporting things to me uh, without any you know prompting on, on my part. They would say things to me like, why when I'm sitting and talking to you, do I get like cold chill feelings all over my skin? <laughs> Um, and they, it's a, it's a positive feeling. It's kind of like, um, you know, when, when somebody lightly tickles your skin and it feels good and you kind of get the cold chills, um, or you get a wave of pleasant emotion and it produce a, uh, produces a tingly sensation in your body. They were experiencing that spontaneously just sitting with me. And that started happening after I started uh, utilizing Reiki in session in a passive background way. So, you know, they're not laying on a table and I don't have my hands on them, but just sitting in the presence of another human that holds that energy intentionally um, does a lot. And I think there's people out there that are not trained in Reiki traditionally, but they're doing this all the time, right? They're the natural healers of the world that just love easily. And their love is very... Uh, uh, palpable to the rest of us, right? And these are the human beings that we want to be near, that we're naturally drawn to. We like their hugs. They feel good to us. Um, and that produces real change in our body. And so I, you know, I interject doses of Reiki into all of my sessions just by being intentional about embodying as much love as I possibly can. The other overlap is in the other way around. Um, and like I was saying, it's really hard for me to do a pure Reiki session where I'm silent and the client is silent and it's just, you know, I'm producing uh, that energy uh, through my body to their body. I always invariably end up talking to them and it, it takes a much more therapeutic route. Like I can't help myself. Um, and uh, so that I've just kind of given into that reality that I embody all of those things. I am a Reiki practitioner. I am trained in Peruvian shamanism. So that comes out too. <laughs> um, I'm an EMDR therapist and a trauma specialist, and I'm a total neuroscience nerd. And so all of that gets blended into one human body. And that's what they get because that's who I am. And I believe that, you know, human to human interactions is where healing really occurs. So whatever we're trained in, if we choose to embody it, then it's going to walk around with us in every situation that we're in. And so Reiki is one of those things that my body holds for me at all times now. And sometimes it's the thing that's at the, the front and center, and sometimes it's in the background, but it's always present in whatever I'm doing. It sounds like such a powerful tool and really um, informed that embodying love and compassionate um, stance 
which for me, my original training being in CBT, you know, the therapeutic relationship was definitely emphasized. But it wasn't until I trained in EMDR that it felt so important. And coming across other modalities, particularly, I think, internal family systems, and Richard Swartz's explanation of embodying self and the curative nature of self, that's where it really kind of hit home. And then the more you more theory put into practice and as you say you notice the shift it's something that um uh, it's hard to put into words but you can really feel it yeah um, for anyone interested in knowing more about reiki do you have any books or even podcasts that you recommend that they check out yeah so you know i was thinking about this question and to be completely honest i haven't really found any that felt super satisfactory to me <laughs> um I think most of my, what I would consider good information, um, has come from talking to real human beings, people that are practicing it, um, and being mentored by practitioners that have been doing it a long time. The nice thing is, is that, you know, almost anywhere you go, Reiki is there somewhere. It is, you know, spread so much that it's pretty easy to find, um, people out there doing it. But one thing that I have noticed is much like therapists, um, being sort of business minded is not usually an overlapping skill set with Reiki practitioners. <laughs> so when it comes time to, you know, produce things that are sort of disembodied and, you know, out there in the world without us, we struggle a little bit more. Um, and so as far as, you know, podcasts and books and things like that, there, there are some out there. There is one that was um, helpful to me. It wasn't specifically about Reiki though. It's called Quantum Touch. And it, it explores in a pretty holistic way um, the, the relationship between our bodies and, as an electrical organism and energy healing. It kind of, um, you know, seeks to, to build that bridge between the two worlds. And that was really helpful to me at the beginning to make sense of my experiences and to start to wrap some scientific language around it. So, yeah, that book is called Quantum Touch. There, there is a modality called Quantum Touch, which is its own version of energy healing. Um, and I think that has a lot of validity too. There's a lot of energy healing practices out there now. Um, but the, the core concepts in that book are applicable to all energy healing practices. Well, if you ever get the time, I'm sure you could start up your own podcast on Reiki. <laughs> I added to the list of my other five podcasts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe someday that would be fun. Um, that is all we have time for today, Melissa. Thank you so much, Barrett, for doing this. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, yeah, you're so very welcome. I enjoyed it.